what uh, this means and what it's going to mean for the dry bulk uh, sector of uh, the freight and logistics space in a context where we all know global supply chains have been constrained and the shipping costs have risen dramatically. Yeah, indeed, you know, two things going to happen. If the deal gets to be uh, approved and it proceeds, then grain rod shipping will be delisted from the JSE, which is fair. But now this London listed TMI will more than double their fleet size. Remember, both of them, they are operating in what you call the medium size when it comes to that bulk, uh, bulk commodities industry. And we know that, yes, as much as there have been issues and strains because of Russia and Ukraine, but hey, we're continuing to eat, we're continuing to get stuff, meaning trade is still happening. So as much as we are worried that there's a possibility of a global recession, as it is now, demand is still out there, then imagine if things start picking up, then definitely more shipping will have to happen. Yes, you can say the guys have been trying to get their hands on this whole issue mm. because they acquired to 26%, so now they want to acquire almost everything that they don't own, so that will make the transaction worth almost $6.7 billion. and given what they are offering them, we are taking a premium of only 26%. I'm not too sure whether other people will be too happy with that. Mm. Probably they might want to get more. The reason being, as it is, the share price is up almost 70%. But going forward, as I said, when the world economy is start to get out of trouble, then definitely this guy should be doing more meaning forward-looking. This company still have some legs to run on. So I think whoever will be asking for more than that, I think in a way it will be justified. But the long and short of this whole thing is that this is a very good deal for the market in the sense that the guys, as we know, they've got almost the two one dry bulk vessels. So and since 2018, remember this was, uh, what do you call it? Uh, and bundled or spent out of the green rod itself in mm. 2018. So since then, this company has been doing okay. So is it a good deal? It is a good deal for the guys who are trying to buy them, not for the target company. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing I guess um, that one might be interested in this is what implications is this going to have for Greenrod's operating model um, when, you know, supply chains do finally recover? I, I certainly take your point that there has been significant recovery from what we might have seen in 2020. Uh, but uh, things are still not the same, even from a price perspective. I mean, you ask many exporters, you know, is it... Uh, relatively more expensive to ship stuff to their critical export markets or import stuff into the country and lower lead times or longer lead times. Many of them would certainly answer in the affirmative. Um, Positioning-wise, what does it mean for Grinrod? I mean, yes, the delisting, but in addition to this, um, to acquire an entity of this kind, what does it mean for them operationally? But they'll be on the upper end of the mid size. They will still be on the competing with the big guys. But remember, as it is now, the guys are still part of the 10 biggest you know, shipping companies in the world. So that gives them at least a nice footing. And as you say, they'll even be having access to other markets which they've not been servicing. So basically, it will be a more bigger company going forward. The problem is, 
if you buy at these prices and the things don't turn around, meaning you have this nice big corporation, but unfortunately there's no demand, then I think that will be a problem for them. But when things turn around, then they'll be able to offer a more better service because they've got much bigger fleet. Your mm-hmm. first round. Uh, some interesting things <laughs> coming out of the tell us, tell us, tell Yeah, remuneration report as a first round in then more Yo, yo, the amounts involved here. Look, I mean, let's maybe just first talk about Alan Pullinger, right? Yeah. Alan Pullinger's total pay package increases by just over 6% to 48.28 million for the year ending at the end of June of this year. Now, just to for our listeners to understand how people at that level get paid, because this is one of the things we seldom talk about. Maybe let me not include you because hey, you, you are also in a different league. <laughs> but uh, peasants, right, who get much of our pay in salaries, right? We don't get our pay in variable pay. Take a listen to this. Sure. This 48.28 million included 9.6 million of guaranteed pay. So, yeah. so this means like less than a quarter of his money comes in his salary, right? 13.83 in performance-related short-term incentives, 24.84 million in long-term incentives, some which I know for free are linked to operating and other profitability measures. And I must say, I mean, how much can really be attributed to Allen and how much gets attributed to the interest rate decisions of the South African Reserve Bank? (laughs) You know, currently... I think so far they've just been benefiting from the interest rate decision because we have not yet seen a rapid increase when it comes to interest rates, meaning the interest income of first rent has been managing to go up. But if we continue to have this aggressiveness when it comes to interest rates, it's going to work against them because it's going to increase their bad debts as mm. people are be able to afford to pay, you know, those kind of installments. And that might work against him because now it means even those long-term investments the share price might drop stuff like that mm. but as it is now it is that but here we're talking about africa's south africa's largest bank when it comes to market value i mean yeah if the guy has managed to negotiate something like that and i'm saying considering tax he was clever to have the better portion more in incentives because the tax bracket is something else. It's not going to be tax for the first percent. So that's clever. And now secondly, if shareholders, this is their company, they are happy to pay him that X amount. And even if the workers of first rent are not complaining that executives are getting this 48 or whatever million, I am who are we to complain? But yes, the most critical thing, and I think for me, things that we can learn, especially with our mining companies and other factors, it's very critical to get your employees to benefit from the share scheme because that's where good money comes from. As you're saying, only nine, you know, is coming from the guaranteed salary. Mm. But everything, I mean, the T, what do you call it, 39% or 39 million the office coming from those incentives. So we had an issue, remember, with Neil Fullman, how much was it taking? 300 million, but yeah. mainly because yeah. of yeah. those incentives, some short-term, some long-term. So I will have a problem if the workers were asking for an increase and they were not given that kind of an increase, or if maybe it was taxpayers' money. But hey, 
There's a shareholders mine who approved all that, by the way. They've got a remuneration committee that approves stuff like that. So here no one is complaining. You see, but Marco, here's the other dynamic. I mean, if I think of the bulk of that money, the bulk of the 48 million I'm talking about is from long-term incentives, right? That we're vesting, I assume. Now, these are what, three-year incentives that are linked primarily, and I'm looking at the remuneration report now of First Rand. They say here that these are RAN-based conditional incentive plans, which are linked to the share price, based on achieving group performance targets. And then there's also a UK long-term incentive, which is also linked to the share price. Um, and the share price, I guess, is the main measure of whether or not. So if the share price is above a certain threshold or whatever, you get your incentive, performs even better than that, you get an incentive. But last time I read finance, uh, it wasn't only the actions of a CEO that drives share price or even drives yeah. you know, operational performance matrices. Yeah. Why should the CEO be the one it is assumed has taken all the risk to achieve this performance and also even to shift the sentiment of many of you in the markets who, with your buying behavior, have buttressed the share price? It's not only him, it's not his executive, but he's the man who's in charge of that executive. So to get that performance, people who are reporting to him, he needs to make sure that he motivates them to do the job. And those people but why only the ones in the management team, Mark? Why only those yeah. ones? What about that one with the SKL at the FNP? Yeah. The, yeah, but I'm branch. saying it triggers, it triggers down that the senior management motivates middle management so that they all reach their targets. My point is, as it is now, a first rent itself should be having a scheme as well to cover people who are working at the branch mm. that they also benefit from this whole thing. It's wrong only if it starts covering senior management. Then we know most in uh, share schemes, they used to be like that. But now lately, I am, most of them have been changing. That I have to motivate you, you motivate, you know, it trickles down so that we get to get the performance. Because as we're saying, the share price will only perform if the company is making profit. And for the company to make profit, is that from an ordinary cleaner, ordinary worker, they have to do their part. Mm. All of us, we have to do our part so that we can attract customers, we can get good service, stuff like that, and we continue to make good profits, then the share price will go up. And if the share price goes up, me as a shareholder, I'm getting rewarded because my share price has gone up from X to whatever. So as much as I'm getting rewarded, you, the guys who can be in the job, is only fair that it gets to be rewarded higher, visit those uh, business school books that you guys we used to read. They kept on emphasizing that your most important asset is what you are workers. So take care of all the workers. So I agree with you. And if this whole thing only covers in our management, then definitely that's totally wrong. That's what needs to do something about that. But, and I mean, I think the point is well made. Uh, that uh, operational performance might influence the share price, all good and well. But I think that there are also external events that might influence the operating environment. And I guess maybe it's a bit of luck as well involved in that number. But uh, quite an interesting one to look at there. Let's take a look uh, at now the strike out at Transnet. Uh, the latest coming out of that one, it seems Transnet uh, put uh, a revised offer on the table. And I'm quite interested in what you make of this. Uh, the offer stood at a 4.25% increase for first-line management, 4.5% uh, for junior staff, and 5% for general workers and drivers. And it seems the workers rejected. I think starting by saying, if it's true that management paid themselves bonus, then that's totally wrong. 
And it goes back to your argument earlier. But how does management get to be rewarded while the ordinary guy who's doing the main job doesn't get to be rewarded? That's wrong. So transnet management to give themselves bonuses is wrong. And the board that approve all that, they have to account. But yes, truth be told, I in CPI is at 7.6%. We're all complaining, not back home here only, even globally. We see protests. People are complaining about the rising cost of living. So I, if inflation is 7.6%, it means my rent today is buying less than what it used to buy. So I'm worse off. So please make at least take me to where I was before. Give me that 7.6% or maybe give me a sweetener as well. Give me the inflation plus half a percent. Then I'm not worse off. It doesn't help. If you give yourself a bonus management, it doesn't help because of the wrong operational decisions that you made. And as a result, you're not making good money. But Simon and Sarah are still doing their part because some of these failures can be attributed to the decisions made by senior management. And the guy is teaching this part who's operating on the floor. And those are the guys who get to be punished, even to the extent that when things are not working out, companies are not making money. Those are the very same people who get to be retrenched before they can even touch senior management. And all to find that bad decisions were made by senior management. So I think Transnet, they just have to do something up there again. Make sure they go and get that money, whether from Mr. Shareholder, who's the government, or wherever. Let them get the money and pay the cash. I have the long and short is that Transnet workers, as we're talking, their rent is buying less than what it used to buy. So guys are worse off. And yes, 15% we know is their way of trying to negotiate. But if you listen to the narrative, guys will be happy with CPI plus maybe a percent or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anything anywhere below CPI is uh, going to be accepted by the workers at this stage. Uh, and uh, yeah, it certainly remains to be seen uh, what the intervention, because we did hear, I mean, I think the Minister of Labor and the Minister of Public Enterprises, uh, we heard, intervened in this matter. And I don't know if those interventions will yield any results insofar as this particular you matter. You to bring the money. Their intervention is a question bring of... Money, ne? <laughs> bring the money, give, give, give Transnet some money for them to be able to carry that. And I'm on the side of the workers. Sure. The guys are not being unreasonable hmm. to ask for CPI assumption. Ah, Last one, uh, closer to home. Select Committee on Public Enterprises and uh, Communications and Digital Technologies today. Closing the meeting uh, where the board of the SABC was set to... Um, I guess give the, their latest report on the turnaround. Uh, one of the board members was sitting here with me a few minutes ago and uh, he says it was quite unfortunate that they were unable to present progress on that turnaround plan. Uh, but I guess a new board might be in a position to do that. What do you make of this? Especially after the 3.2 billion. I don't think it's been unfortunate. The guys have been very irresponsible with our taxes. Mm. You know, to get people to go down there and not have a meeting, that's a cost to ACDC. Exactly. For a minister not to know and not to attend, and the deputy minister not to attend the meeting and not vanish good reasons and on time, that's utterly not right. 
because at least if you could have given guys some notice, probably that meeting they could have rescheduled the meeting. I mean, they have cost us. I don't know whether they fly economy or business class. I don't know the hotels they're staying in. But at the end of the day, SABC, as it is now, is trying to revive their finances. So you still now continue and have unnecessary waste in expenditure. And I am uh, saying the ministers and whoever, they are accountable to parliament. And I think that these subcommittees are the ones which are used to hold those people accountable. So I don't think it was right for the meeting to be rescheduled, all because the minister and the deputy minister did not have just the decency I give guys a notice that, oops, something came up, I won't be able to make it. Can we reschedule something yeah. of that nature? Or wherever I am, can't I connect via Zoom? Yeah, virtually or something. Exactly, something of that nature. So it just shows, but hey, the relationship between the outgoing board and the minister has not been right. Because I think there was a month or two back that the minister was also threatening them that, you know what, I will just file that you guys have to be declared delinquent directors. So I don't know whether it was like hesitating them or what, I don't know. But at the end of the day, I'm worried as a taxpayer that my money was used fruitlessly. Sure, sure, sure. I, mm-mm. Makwe, let's leave it there for tonight, Brur. Always a pleasure. Danko. Hey, Tara. Makwe Masilela, Chief Investment Officer and Founder out at Makwe Fund Managers, helping us with our wrap of the top business stories. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, what's the latest out at Arno Opco? Uh, the people who supply coal um, from the Arno coal mine out uh, in Emalasheni to ESCOM. Uh, we did tell you yesterday, business rescue process is underway and we're going to get a sense of how things got here, who are some of the big creditors, and more importantly, how do we stave off a liquidation?